Good morning, everyone. My name is Ian, and I'll be reading from the Bible today. If you don't have a Bible, please put up your hand, and someone from the hospitality team will bring you one. Please flip to page 670. Here at Providence, we believe that reading the Bible is the way in which God reveals Jesus to us. So please read along with me as we hear from God's Word. Malachi chapter 3, verse 13. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said, it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going, out, going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper. And even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will, see, you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or branch will be left to them, but for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. There will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Father Lord, we do thank you that you speak to us, and we thank you that we have these um, Bibles in our hands that we have access to, the freedom to access them, and to freedom to access you, to hear from you. And we pray, Lord, today as we hear from Malachi, this last uh, chapter, this last, these last few verses, Lord, we'll be, um, again, challenged to consider what it means to be a Christian, uh, considered to, uh, considering what it looks like to, to live under you and your rule. Uh, there are some big... Um, uh, big issues that are raised in this passage, Lord, but uh, may you comfort us and remind us uh, of the goodness that comes from your hand. May you remind us that you are a good and, and gracious God, a God who does love us, and, so, and, and you've called us to live in response to that. So we pray that you, your spirit will be at work as we hear from it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so as earlier we heard uh, from, from Angel in our prayer, we have been thinking through um, elections, haven't we, recently? Yesterday was a state election in Brisbane uh, in Queensland, and uh, if you follow, if you're on Facebook, social media, you would have seen your Facebook feed flooded with stuff happening in the U.S. as well. The elections happening over there, the presidential debates that's been happening, uh, it's it's all happening right now uh, in terms of um, elections and who to vote for. And I've been overwhelmed by that because it's just like. I'm not really too interested in what's happening in the U.S., but at the same time, I have to be interested because that's going to change the world and change. it's going to make impacts on Australia as well, whoever gets voted in in America. But, you know, I'm not really educated in the world of politics. I'll admit to you, I'm not very, you know, I don't really understand what's going on half the time. I'm a noob when it comes to it. Um, but this year with, with COVID, right, it, it's thrown the world upside down. 
And, and everyone is making a big deal about who to vote for. In Australia and in America, uh, everyone you know, is worried about debt, everyone's worried about sickness, everyone is uh, thinking about how do we move forward as a nation, as, uh, in a global way as well. And if you ever get onto those uh, ads on your, on your Facebook or you click on the comments, you'll read there's a lot of nasty things that are written right, about politicians. There's a lot of nasty things written about people, and, and I actually feel a little bit sorry for them. I, I do get sick of, of, the, of the ads. I, I do get sick of the faces that keep popping up on my YouTube telling me that I should vote for them, uh, things like that. But, you know, I also know that these guys are working really hard. And they're getting slammed for it. They're getting hammered for it. And, like, sure, uh, politicians make mistakes. Politicians don't make the right decisions. Especially in the US, it's really easy to target a certain president at the moment and how, you know, how he's, he's just not a great president, whatever it might be. I, and I get it. People aren't psyched about their options. They're not psyched about this guy or this guy or this person or this person. The choices are depressing, right? I get that. But when I read some of these comments, they just, they just seem so harsh. They seem so mean. You know, if you're in the spotlight and, you've got, you know, and you're trying your best to serve your country, oh, I feel a little bit sorry for them. And I read these and I'm thinking, do these people actually think they could lead the country better? Maybe it's the Western culture, isn't it? We think, actually, we're right, and they're wrong. I could lead the country better. Maybe I should go for presidency. Maybe I should be like Kanye and put my name forward. I could be, you know, president. You know, this, this Vision 2020, Kanye West for president. Maybe I should consider putting my name first. And I think about it, and I think about it, and I read these comments, and I just think, actually, underlying that, there's a bit of arrogance, isn't there? There's an arrogance thinking that I can criticize, and I can accuse, and I can spit at these, these, these politicians and what they're trying to do. And I can point out that they're arrogant, but really, deep down, aren't I the one being arrogant when I think that? When I think I can do a better job? When I think I know better than them? Uh, I'm not sure about you, but we live in a world, right, when we know we have imperfect leaders, right? We have imperfect leaders who, who govern. But isn't it so easy when we come before God and we come before him and we think about the way he governs, isn't it so easy for us to project our thoughts, our criticisms upon God too? We look at our human leaders around the world and we think, hey, actually, I feel that way about God. And we, we, we project this cynicism upon him. That actually, at times, I know better than God. At times, I think I know what's best for me and my life. At times, I think to myself, why do I even bother? with God. Don't you think that sometimes? Why do I bother worshipping or serving or doing anything for God when it feels like I'm better off governing my own life? It's a little bit of arrogance, isn't it? A little bit of arrogance in the way we run our own lives. And we go through those seasons of life where at times we feel God's presence so strongly. We feel that he's in control and, and we tell everyone, you know, we announce it on the hilltops, we tell everyone about it, everyone needs to know who God is. But then there are those seasons which often creep in unnoticed when our life and our attitude actually seems like, actually, we know better than God. Why do I bother? For those of us who have been Christians for a while, or growing as, your, as a Christian in your faith, you've asked that question, haven't you? At some point, why do I bother living for Jesus? Why do I bother serving God? And you see, that's precisely what Israel is asking too. Back here in Malachi's day, it's their attitude towards God. There's this underlying cynicism towards God, that he's actually not good enough to be worshipped, not good enough to follow. He's not a good enough leader. 
and Malachi, right? He, they finish with these very questions. You see, uh, Malachi, if you've been with us for the last five weeks, you know there's a series of disputations. You know, God makes a statement. The people um, respond uh, with a question and, and then got like a really accusatory question. And then God responds and he calls them out. That's what we see here. This is the sixth disputation in Malachi, the last one. That's how we structured our series, if you notice, around these questions and answers. We're up to chapter 3, right? verse 13. If you have your Bibles, follow along with me. This is what it says. God's making this statement. He says, You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said, it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly, evildoers prosper, and even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. God makes a statement, you've spoken arrogantly against me. Think about that, right? That's a, that's a huge statement to make. Arrogance, having that attitude where you're, you're superior, than, superior than others. I know more than you. I'm, I'm better than you are. God is saying to Israel, you're speaking in a way as if you are more superior than God himself. They question, how? How have we done that? And God says, well, it's by the things like what you said, that it's futile to serve God. Now, why would you go and say something like that? Well, the context helps us, doesn't it? They say, what do we gain by carrying out his requirements? What do we gain by carrying out his requirements, right? It's it's really revealing of their intentions, isn't it? Really uh, revealing of their agenda deep down. They serve God, and they think it's pointless, Not worth their time because, well, from their point of view, there's no gain in it. What do we gain by carrying this out? They expected gain from it. They expected blessing or prosperity, but instead they felt the futility of it. And isn't that part of life, right? We do things and we expect gain from it. And when there's no profit, no gain from it, we think to ourselves, what is the point? Why did I bother doing that? You know, life is just a series of transactions, isn't it? If you didn't know, I've been going to the gym for two years now. And I honestly, sometimes there are times where I just feel like giving up. No one notices. No one says anything. I look in the mirror and I don't notice sometimes. What's the point? Why do I go to the gym? I don't see gains. Why am I spending the money? Why am I spending the energy? You know, sometimes I just feel like I have back problems all the time and, you know, and sore muscles. What's the point? Surely I'm not the only one, right? You've thought about it. You've thought that. Well, what's the point of studying? What's the point of studying so hard when even if I don't study that hard, I can still pass. I can still get that degree. I can still get that job probably that I want with just you know, passes. Why do I bother trying to be a nice person when people just take advantage of me? What's the point? Why am I that friendly, hardworking, conscientious person at work and I'm not getting that promotion? Why do I bother? Sometimes we echo Israel and we think, hey, I do all this good stuff for God. I go to church every Sunday. I help out. Why do I bother when I don't see any gain from it? It feels futile. Yeah, this part says, why do I bother going around mourning for my sin, about my sin? when that mourning doesn't change anything, like this outward expression of, of, you know, that you're sad about things, about your life or, or sin. You see, they're expecting to gain something from it. And so verse 15, they say, you know, they're arrogant, they're blessed. The evildoers, they prosper. 
those who put God to the test, they get away with it. They're saying those who are disobedient to God, they seem to be better off. You see, what they're saying is how we serve God feels pointless. Because those who don't serve God, those who speak against God, those who act arrogantly superior over God, hey, they still prosper in this world. They seem to be even more blessed than I am. There's this underlying attitude, isn't there? An expectation. If I just do this, God should respond in this way to me. They think if they're being obedient, if they make these sacrifices, even though they're half-hearted, if they go around mourning looking like they're repentant, yet they aren't seeing the results, no gains, maybe, just maybe, God isn't as powerful as he says he is. Look at my life. My circumstances aren't changing. I do so much for God. So instead, I'm going to settle with that conclusion. It's futile. It's not worth being obedient after all. You're feeling that discomfort, aren't you? How relatable is that? Sometimes we go about serving God as Christians, and we deep down, we un- once we unravel our heart a little bit, we've all had that similar expectation, haven't we? Life is a series of transactions. We do this because we want this result. If we serve God and have faith, we expect to have a happy and healthy life. If we give our time on Sundays to, to God, we expect God to bless us. Or we expect, to be, uh, expect people to, to give us praise as good people. And isn't that a natural thing for humans to expect? A series of transactions. When we come before God, we serve God, we expect some sort of gain, don't we? Yet God is saying here in this last disputation, that's, that's what arrogance looks like. See, serving God and expecting gain, what does that actually imply? It implies that serving God will mean that I'll be better off. It's a transaction that doesn't actually magnify God and his worth. It's one that instead is an attitude where we're at the center, not God. God has to bless me because I did this. It's living in this eye-centered world, right? This you know, iPhone, iMac world. Where we're pushed to believe that every transaction we make around the world should benefit I, me, right? Yet God is telling Israel something here, isn't he? Before a perfect and holy God, that attitude is actually arrogance. It's a lifestyle where we're saying, I'm big and God is actually small. And even though we might think we're serving God, we do it because we ultimately want God to be serving us. To meet our demands, our desires, our wants. You see here, God hates that. Deep down, it's as if we want to manipulate God by our actions. We put on this facade, this outward mourning, and, you know, as if we're, we care about our sin, but deep down, we actually just want God to do what we say. We expect that outward display to be a silver bullet to blessing. This picture of mourning, it really means we should have a life and a heart of repentance. You see, the picture of serving God really looks like one of obeying God, coming before Him in genuine repentance and worshipping Him. It's serving God is, is more than what we do on a Sunday morning, but it's giving our lives entirely to Him as a living sacrifice, magnifying Him. You see, what we read next about, about um, what it looks like to actually have faith, it, it, it shares with us what it looks like to actually have faith and to know Him. It looks like one of fear and reverence. Read with me from verse 16. It says, Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A, a scroll of remembrance was written in His presence and concerning those who feared the Lord and honored His name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. 
And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. You see, while there are, uh, some, um, there are many amongst God's people uh, who believe that it's pointless to follow God, there are also another group of people amongst God's people. They're, let's call them the faithful remnant, right? The faithful remnant who believe God is worthy of worship. He's still worthy of our reverence simply because God is God. God has shown, him, shown them his love to them and to their ancestors in the past, and they remember that. And so throughout Malachi, there are two, actually two groups of people that Malachi is speaking to. And here in this last chapter, this is what we, we get to hear about that second group. In the, fir- the first group was one that we heard about in the first few chapters, those who believe that uh, they're God's people, but they're unfaithful. They give God their scraps. They're uh, unfaithful to their wives, their marriages. They're, they're robbing God of tithe, their tithes and offerings. That, that's that first group of people. But here, we're reading, actually, there's another group of people, the faithful remnant. Now, we hear this idea of fear, right? And you know, that idea often it means that you know, afraid, where you're scared of something, that fear. Uh, and in many ways, that fear should be that when it comes to God, for you know, fear of God's wrath, for sure. But many in instances in the Bible, so many times in the Bible where it says fear, it's actually this picture of reverence. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's in Proverbs, right? It's seeing this fear. It's a nuance of, of respect. It's a nuance of awe and of reverence. To fear the Lord is to walk in obedience, revering Him. It's the picture of wholehearted worship that we've been coming back to again and again. It's why we call the series Drawing Near to God, Come Back to God in Fear of Him. It's what the faithful remnant in Israel have displayed before God. Well, some people are thinking that serving God is pointless. There are some who are gathering, coming together, and realizing actually it does matter. It does matter to remain faithful to the covenant that they have with God. God is worthy of wholehearted worship. God hears and he sees their repentant hearts too. And to those who, uh, they, he sees those who fear him and who honor his name. And I wonder if we, the church, we gather in our homes and our, uh, here every week on Sunday, will we be like this? Will we be the faithful remnant that remember the goodness of God? to gather together in a world that seems so opposed to God, amongst our friends or in circles uh, where people around us tell us it's not worth obeying or worshipping God, will we be the faithful remnant? Will we come together? Will we discuss and talk to one another about God? Will we worship Him together? Will we do life together around God? I really like this verse. It's just very just natural coming together and discussing matters of God together. And there's this impression, isn't there, that we read here. There's this impression that there's this accountability between them. They actually want to sharpen each other. They actually want to encourage each other. They want to make a pledge together to be faithful. We're going to hold each other to it. Imagine, uh, for some of us here in our missional community groups that meet midweek, imagine if we do that every week, we hold each other accountable. We hold each other to those, these issues that we've heard about in Malachi, to be faithful to give our best, not our second best, to be faithful in our relationships, to care for justice, to give generously. Imagine if we were holding each other accountable like these, the faithful remnant were. God sees, he hears, and he listens. Being the faithful remnant for us is standing firm in our faith, in being obedient in a secular world that tells us it's futile, it's pointless to serve and worship God. Friends, let's stand firm. Let's stand strong as a community of God's people. 
And so from here, a scroll of remembrance is made. Some commentators say this was like a, a record of people's names who stayed faithful to God. But look at what verse 17 says. On the day when I act, right? It's this day of judgment, as we already heard in Malachi. The faithful remnant, they will be his treasured possession. They will be his. There's this family language here. God will spare them like a father spares his son. A picture of compassion, the compassion of our faithful God. For those who return to God, those who repent. Last week we heard about in chapter 3, verse 7, return to him. Such an important verse in Malachi where God calls him to draw near to him. God is faithful to his covenant love for his people, and God says, return to me. I haven't left, but if you return to me, there is love, there is compassion, there is forgiveness. Pray that God will work in our lives so that we can be that faithful remnant in a world that rebels, and against, uh, rebels against our faithful God. God finishes with a warning, doesn't he? This day is going to come. Chapter 4, verse 1. This sounds heavy. Let's read it together. It says, Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. You will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. There will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the laws, my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I give him at Horeb for all Israel. Judgment is going to look like fire, destruction to those who continue to live arrogantly, who continue to do evil. Now God uses this language of fire here. He uses different language of the picture of what, what hell essentially will look like in the Bible. But we have this picture of fire here. And we all have the, that negative experience of, of, of soapbox preachers, don't we? You know, on the corner where they get up and they say, you repent or you'll face the fires of hell. And they have those picket, you know, fence signs, whatever. Um, but really, it's this, it's this imagery of what we have to face if we reject God. And yes, Malachi uses that image of fire to warn them of the seriousness of judgment. But really, it's also a, a picture of fire to contrast with the fire that he used earlier. I don't know if you picked that up. Fire is something we're all going to experience. Fire is all, you know, that imagery of fire is going to be something we all have to experience. It's what judgment is going to come by. Look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 2. In your Bibles, you can flip back a chapter. I've got it here on the screen. Malachi talks about fire here too. He says, who can endure the day of his coming? The same day of coming. Who can stand when he appears? For he'll be like a refiner's fire. Or a laundress soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He'll purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Right? Who can endure the day of his coming? Chapter 4, verse 1. Who can endure the day of his coming? The same day. It will burn like a furnace. They'll be set on fire. But here it is, right? The fire that's coming in chapter 3. It's going to be like one that's refining. God's people will be refined. They'll be made pure. But for the wicked... Those who aren't faithful, those who reject God, they're going to experience the same fire, but that fire is going to consume them. One's going to refine and one's going to consume. It gets quite dark. It says, the righteous will trample on the ashes of the wicked. The ashes will be under the soles of, of the feet of the righteous. Yeah, it sounds dark because I don't want to be trampling on any, any ashes like that, but remember this inventory? The righteous will be like happy, well-fed calves, frolicking under the, 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 the sun's rays of righteousness. 
This is, it's actually meant to be a beautiful picture for God's people. A new day has dawned. Uh, there's a sense of freedom that they speak of. It, it's sort of the next day has come. There's freedom now, but the, the day of judgment has come and passed. The wicked has been burnt up. There's ashes on the floor. And the well-fed calves, they're going to frolic and there's going to be under their feet. There's going to be ashes. Not they're going to trample on those people, but God has already done the judgment. God's people, though, the righteous, they're going to go out and they're going to be like well-fed calves. There's going to be freedom. There's going to be uh, the, the sun's rays of righteousness you know, shining upon them. It's meant to be a beautiful picture for God's people to actually look forward to. You know, when I think about this, and I, I think about this, this picture of judgment, I have, I'm reminded, actually, I deserve that fire. When I look at the depths of my wretched heart, my, my selfishness, my greed, my pride, my self-entitled nature, hands down, I deserve that. I got, I, I got no excuse. My list is as long as the next person's. But even without a list of good and bad, at the core of my humanity, I would naturally choose myself over God any day of the week. Wouldn't you? I deserve that consuming fire. But I've met Jesus. God's revealed himself to me. The one who's forgiven me of my sin, who chooses to love me even in my wretchedness and my wickedness and my evil. And I'm accepted with all my crap and my baggage that I bring before God. He takes me in and he calls me one of his own. And I've been freed from sin. And one day, you know, it sounds cheesy, but I'm going to frolic. <laughs> And so this picture, let me, let me paint it again for you. It's, it's one of freedom. God's people, God's faithful will be protected from that fire. They'll be refined. And this imagery for, for Israel, it comes as a warning, really, on how serious sin is, on how serious unfaithfulness and rejection of God, what it will lead to. Remember, they've, they've got this misconception about God, that he's a God that they can trample on that he's a God that they can manipulate. And they come to God with this arrogance, this self-entitlement before God. God will serve me if I just tick all the right boxes. I can manipulate God. There's this group of people who call themselves God's people, who think they're saved, but they're not going to be the frolicking calves. God wants, them, God wants them to wake up. Wake up and smell the toast, right? They're the wicked ones. They need to turn back to God. Turn back to the law. Prepare for the day that's to come. Who can endure it? See, what Malachi does throughout this book is, is that he exposes the hearts of God's people. I mean, it's so easy, isn't it, to point the finger at everyone else and how wicked everyone else is. But Malachi wants us to give us an insight into our own hearts, into sin. 100%, we want God to deal with the evil in this world, don't we? We want God to deal with the injustices. We want, God to, we want people who are evil to face that destruction you know what God wants us to hear? That we, if we don't return to God in faith and worship, we're going to face that same fate. Sin is a rejection of God and His holiness. Sin is dreadful. And we don't consider how we act so arrogant, arrogantly and disrespectful before a holy and superior God, do we? You know, what we do so often is we instead will look around and say, hey, that person is so rude, that person is so rotten, they're the ones that should be condemned. They're the sinner. 
and we never put ourselves in that category. We're exempt from that. I mean, compared to them, I'm a good person. Yet aren't we just comparing good to what we see as bad by our own subjective experience, our own definition? We define morality for ourselves, don't we? We define by our own standards, and it's so narrow-minded of us. Man, we could compare a semi-bad person to, to someone like, say, Hitler or whatever, and that semi-bad person would look like an angel. What is bad and good? What is righteous and, and what is wicked? We need an objective, don't we? We need God to give us that standard, don't we? The Bible helps us. The wicked and the arrogant who think that God exists to serve them and not the other way around, that's what it looks like. That's what sin looks like. The righteous will be those who have turned to God in humble repentance, who have found their acceptance in Him. God makes us righteous. While it might sound like doom and gloom, this passage is, is peppered, right, with this beauty of freedom and blessing. The faithful remnant will be like well-fed calves. They will be taken care of. God will have compassion on His children. The fire will be one that will refine. How do we know that? How do we know that for us today? How can we be confident of that for us, the church today in 2020? It's because Jesus. Jesus walked through the consuming fire on our behalf. It's because Jesus walked through the judgment for us. Justice was done. And Jesus, who was completely innocent and holy, he was the one who was found guilty of sin, not us. He took it upon our sin. He took it upon himself. He came before the judge and he was tried, sentenced, and killed. He experienced that great and dreadful day so that you and I could taste freedom, so that you and I wouldn't have to experience the consuming fire, but instead we get to have the refining fire. Friends, we need Jesus. We need to turn to Jesus and put our faith and trust in Him. We need to see that the love God has for us and His people has found its fulfillment in Him at the cross. We need to see that justice and judgment came and it came upon Him. Yes, it will come again the last day. For those who haven't turned to God, they'll have to face the consequences of their arrogance and sin. You know, as we come to the end of Malachi, we know that Jesus was the answer because it talks about the prophet Elijah. He talks about how Elijah is going to come. He's a, a prophet that you can read about in 1 and 2 Kings in your Bibles, but we know that the Elijah, the one that was foretold about here in Malachi, has already come. He came in the person of John the Baptist. We heard in chapter 3 already. He came and he prepared, he was the messenger. He came and prepared the way for the Lord, for Jesus to come. You know, Israel today, Jewish people today, they still wait for Elijah. They, they celebrate Passover each year, and at, at Passover, there's this tradition where they pour wine for Elijah. They leave a chair at the table for Elijah still to come. But we know Elijah has come in John. You can turn the page into the New Testament, and we can see the same God, who the God of Israel is the same God who speaks to us in Jesus. The messenger has come. The Lord has come. You see, the God of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, is the same God of the New. And while Israel called to remember the law, yes, the laws are good and helpful for the people, Jesus kept the law for us. He fulfilled the law for us. The covenant hasn't changed. It was fulfilled. God still loves His people, and His love was magnified at the cross. So when we see Jesus, doesn't it change the way we see God? It should shape the way, shape the way we see who He is. And it should shape the way 
to answer that question, why do we even bother serving Him? Why do we even bother living for Him? You see, it's not about us, is it? It's actually about Him. And so will you, with renewed and redeemed hearts, refined through fire, will you turn to God and pursue that life of service, service and reverence and worship to Him? Let me give you, encourage you to consider a few things as we finish Malachi this whole six weeks. Firstly, we need to keep our faith on the facts, don't we? Yeah, we all want God to do miracles. We want Him to do supernatural stuff in our lives. We want really tangible things, right? But maybe we need to look back in history and see the, the most tangible, you know, the most greatest miracle He's done. We need to see the cross where our sin was taken away. We need to go back to that. We don't need a scroll of remembrance. We don't need to keep writing one of those. We need to go back to the Bible because that reminds us of where love came, came, came in the cross. And I say this because I know I've spoken to many of you here and I know that our feelings can be so strong sometimes. I experience this too. I have feelings. And sometimes we wake up and we look around the world and we feel sad and we feel depressed. Our lives sometimes aren't as good as those around us. Those evildoers, those who speak arrogantly against God, they have it better off than us. And we feel so, we feel sad. Why aren't our, why aren't our lives as good as theirs? We sook in our bed about it, don't we? Sometimes our prayers aren't answered. Sometimes you don't feel the joy that you thought you were meant to have as a Christian. Sometimes you feel those dark days, and those dark days last longer than you expected. But let's be clear, we don't become Christians with the expectation that all your problems are going to disappear, right? We've got to be real. Life is hard. We've got to be real. The world is still stained by sin. Things might not go your way. Christianity isn't going to be something that, that is going to make everything disappear, all the hardships. Life may still be hard. You might find, uh, you might find liberation for sure in Jesus. 100%, there's so much joy to be had in Jesus, so much freedom and security that you're going to have in Jesus. You'll definitely have that in your heart. You'll have a future hope. You'll, find a, you'll have a future salvation. You'll know God's love. But you might not always feel it every day, especially with the circumstances in your life at times. I know COVID was hard for so many of us. I know many, there were many days that we wanted to give up on our faith, that we drifted a little bit away from Him. But you know what? When we come before Him, it's going to be hard. Jesus tells us to expect it. He says there'll be hardship. Uh, Matthew 16, 24 to 25, I've got this on the screen. It says, Jesus told His disciples, If anyone would come after me, follow me. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, taking up the cross, it doesn't sound like that's going to be easy at all, does it? You know, in John chapter 16, verse 33 as well, I've got on the screen, it says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will face, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. You're going to face trouble. You're going to have trouble in this world. But Christ has already overcome it. There is victory. Jesus has removed our sin. You know, too often our feelings actually deceive us. You know, in our generation, there's so many um, online, you, get, you, get, you can get so overwhelmed by inspirational quotes, can't you? Those memes that tell you to, uh, to, to follow your heart, all that fluffy feel-good stuff, the magnets that we put on our fridges. 
But sometimes that can be really terrible advice because our heart is going to lead us astray. Often our hearts are going to lead us away from God because our hearts are stained with sin and selfishness. Live by faith that's got its eyes fixed on the facts, not simply on our feelings. Because there are going to be days we're going to, like I know I have, woken up and we're going to look at our feelings and we're going to ask this very question, why do I bother serving? Why do I bother living for God? I've been a Christian for 18 years now. I still ask that question. There are still days my feelings are, man, why do, I, why do I do this? This is so hard. But then I've got to remind my faith to look at the facts of the gospel. I've got a good and great God who has loved me, that is worthy of my worship. And if my faith isn't going to be focused on the, faith, uh, on the facts, then I'm always going to be on shaky ground. Because my feelings, I can't trust them. But the facts, that's solid. If I anchor my, feel, my feelings and my faith on the facts, that's solid ground. But remember, secondly, what are the facts? Grace has come down. And through faith and grace, we're saved. And yet, while grace is free, that came at a cost, didn't it? It wasn't cheap. God paid the cost. It was costly grace. Too often, we treat grace like cheap grace. Because we actually don't understand the, re- the wretchedness, the depths of our own sin. We treat it as cheap grace when we take it for granted. When we think God exists to serve us. But you know, it actually cost him his son. Judgment came, God paid the price for us. We think we can manipulate God. We'll say things like, or we'll think things like, hey, yeah, sure, I'll take salvation. I'll take the title of being a Christian. But don't ask me to give up anything. Don't ask me to make sacrifices. Honestly, I like the way the people around me are living, those who actually reject God. I'll take the title of Christian. Yeah, I'll go to church each Sunday. I'll give a couple of hours, but don't ask me to live for Christ. Don't ask me to make any changes in my life. So don't ask me to take up a cross. Come on now. I couldn't be stuffed. We do that, and we treat God's grace as cheap. Come back to the facts, friends. It came at a cost. It was costly grace. And that should lead us to a repentance, a reverent service of Him. We all need to do some reflecting on that. Malachi does that hard work, right? To, to remind, to, he reminds us to do the hard work of looking inwardly. Check yourself. And I find this so hard to say because, because I, I do love you all here. Um, but just because you call yourself a Christian, it doesn't actually mean you, you actually are one. We covered a lot of big topics these last few weeks in Malachi. Half-hearted sacrifice, unfaithful to God through our ungodly relationships, social injustices that we turn a blind eye to, the robbing of God through our greed. God calls us to repent. It finishes on this heavy note. We have to repent and turn back to God, and we have to respond to Him in reverent service. God's grace saves us through faith, not by works, 100%. I'll emphasize that. But you know what? We're also saved to do good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. The Christian life, having the saving faith, it actually results in faithful service. Having saving faith looks like spiritual fruit. It's through a deep understanding that grace came at a cost. Are you willing to also live your lives as an offering to God? Are you also willing to, to live in gratefulness of that? Do you belong to God? Are you serving Him? 
When I say serving Him, I'm talking more about the Son. I'm t- yeah, serve church, sure. But serve Him in your daily repentance. Serve Him through the, the admission and confession that you, you and I, we're not perfect. We have sin. We don't live up to God's standards. We have a prideful heart. Living for Him, serving Him, it looks like generosity and justice. Living for Him looks like practicing love towards others. It looks like sacrificing your time and energy. Malachi tells us to serve Him. Consider what your faithfulness looks like. But it's going to start with knowing this God, knowing that He's worthy of it. One of the things I say here, I often say here, and I really want us to, I say it a lot because I want us to remember it, is that proper theology leads to proper doxology, right theology, right understanding of God, right study of God, the understanding of God. It leads to right worship. That's what doxology means, right? The right theology leads to the right doxology. Right understanding leads to right worship. When our foundation of our great God, right, when we, when we have that right when we know it came at a cost in Christ, when we understand the gospel, when we love Jesus, that's our vision, when we understand that at the heart of it, we'll live for Christ, won't we? Our lives will be an overflow of that. We'll serve God wholeheartedly in worship. We won't come to Him in arrogance. We won't come to Him thinking serving Him is futile. We'll get that foundation right. When we get that foundation right, then There'll be a connection, won't there, with our ethics, with the way that we live, the way that we practice. There'll be a connection between our head, our understanding, with our heart, how we feel, and in the way that we live, in our hands, our head and our heart and our hands. There'll be an overflow into that, into the way we serve God and others. Friends, arrogance isn't something new, is it? It's not something new in our generation today, in our contemporary Western values. It's actually been in the heart of humanity for centuries, since the beginning, that we know better than God, and we don't need Him. We'll define what is good and what is bad. We'll define who is deserving of judgment and who isn't. Today, our culture has become the judge and jury on that. Uh, I see it all the time. Uh, it's, it's in our culture. It's called cancel culture. You guys have, have looked into this? Have you guys looked into cancel culture? You heard about it? it it's this idea that our, our, our generation is so woke now, right? But everything should be canceled. You know, because uh, celebrities that have said, thing from, you know, said something from 10 years ago that was probably, probably politically incorrect today, uh, they get, they get cancelled. Like, don't listen to them anymore because something they said 10 years ago you know, makes them a bad person. Things like that. Things that, like TV shows or, or even brands, right? Brands of, of things that we eat, they're changing their names because of this cancelled culture. Rightfully so, sometimes they need to. Rightfully so, there are times where there are, there are certain issues that we should speak up against. The woke generation, they've got to right sometimes, right? But cancel culture isn't going to always be right. We can't just cancel everything we feel uncomfortable with and tell them that they're wrong. Because what we do is we also cancel, we also cancel God as we do that, don't we? What we're seeing today in this cancel culture is that there are people in this self-righteous tirade as if they're, they're better than others and they're better than God. Friends, I'll be honest with you. If you're a Christian here today, at some point you're going to get canceled. Something you say will get canceled. Something you say will, will not be tolerated by others around you. It's going to be so hard to be that faithful remnant in this, this, this secular world that we live in. You know, as we live this in this world, we can't cancel God. We can't project, we can't come to God and say, oh, you're not worth it after all. You know, what Malachi keeps reminding us again and again is God calls us to draw near to Him, to be reminded of His love for Him. 
Will you be part of that faithful remnant in our secular world? Draw near to God in reverence. Draw near to Him in worship. Let our lives be one of humble service to Him because He is the God that is worthy of it. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your love. We do thank you for Christ, that at the cross, he faced the judgment for us. He went through the consuming fire for us so that we could experience the refiner's fire. We're so thankful for that, Lord, that we are purified of our sin, that we've been cleansed from it, that we've been saved at the cross. And as we live in the sin-stained world, Lord, we pray that you'll help us by your Spirit to pursue a life that pleases you. Help us to live a life of repentance, daily repentance. Help us to live a life of humble service. Help us to live a life in reverence and in awe of you, knowing that you are the God who is supreme and superior. Help us to be humble, knowing that actually we don't know everything. Help us to be humble, to to be able to surrender and submit to you, knowing that you are the God who knows all things. And so I pray, Lord, as we, Providence Church, as we go out into the world, you'll help us by your Spirit to be that faithful remnant. Help us to be a people who stand firm in what we believe in a world that is often against you. Help us to be a people, Lord, that's on about love because we know a God of love and your love has been shown to us at the cross many years ago in history, but that we get to experience that today. Help us to be a, God, uh, help us to be a people, Lord, that, that make much of Jesus, that love Jesus, that love others around us, and that love our world as well. In Jesus' name we pray for this. Amen.